Hello, everyone. Are you on your way to shift empty success into fulfillment? Welcome to Uplift My Life Today, the podcast. You are now in a safe place where we converse, explore, reflect, connect, and deep dive into our inner world together. Fulfillment always starts from within. Every conversation and discussion here is a journey, one that you will likely to continue even after the episode completes. My name is Astuti Marto Sudirjo. I am your host. And thank you for choosing to uplift your life today. Caring for the dying is often, if not always, underestimated. We underestimate how much it takes from us as we choose to do it. I know. I know it firsthand because when I did it, I didn't understand the magnitude of this process for me. The thing is, when the one that we care for passes away, we continue living without them. This episode is the third part of the Death and Dying series and it brings up various topics that we all can consider when we choose to care for others who are dying. My mentor, Rachel Furer, is an international counselor, therapist and coach. She trained as a bereavement counselor at a private hospice in Johannesburg, South Africa and completed her palliative care support training in Switzerland. Through her wisdom and knowledge, I'm hoping to bring out some points forward. And I hope our conversation provides you with some thought-provoking realizations to support you in showing up for your loved ones without neglecting yourself. So we've spent some time touching on, really just touching on um, the process of dying and mainly in old age or terminal disease. And of course there are so many different ways beyond that. But with terminal disease and old age, What I'd also like to bring in is that there are non-professionals who care. Yes. Well, for most people. Yeah, for most people. If you're lucky. And I'd like to go into that slightly because it's such a huge topic Mm -hmm. and we can only look at very small pieces of it or ideas of it. And it's so nuanced and situational again Um, to speak about it in general is a big brush stroke. But there are people who care for the dying. 
And not only care as in heartfelt. Yeah. <laughs> and, and send them flowers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so sorry that you're dying. Or I'm so sorry that you're ill or whatever. But really they're there 24 hours. They live with them or they visit them or whatever it is. They need to be addressed as well. So we've both had the privilege and the ordeal because it's both. Mm-hmm. The privilege and the ordeal of being carers. Yes. For people we love yeah. dearly. And seeing them die and going through the process has taught us a lot, mm-hmm. has demanded a lot, and has been, to a certain extent, also traumatizing. Yes. And let's remember that trauma is often seen as what is overwhelming to the nervous system, depending on resource support and age. So, and that's good and bad, what's overwhelming to the nervous system. So a two-year-old will deal with a situation differently than a 22-year-old, because a 22-year-old has more resources. But the two-year-old might have more support. Yes, exactly. I was going to say, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, traumatizing events don't affect everybody in the same way because they have different resources, different support. But when the body registers, I am overwhelmed, it can then go into fight or flight or freeze, as in numb off. And... This is so unrecognized, in my opinion, around the dying process, because the medical profession looks at the dying person. Yeah. Be that old age, be that terminal illness. Everybody who phones or visits says, how's the dying person? And as much as many people in terminal illness or in old age where they take a long time to die say, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to die. If you really ask a caregiver, they could tell you, I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. So you've had the experience and I've had the experience. How was it for you? For me, um one word that I would use to dis- to describe the the journey was intense for a number of reasons. It was my choice to be there for my mother. It was I was supporting my mother's journey to transition. I decided to do that, and I decided to give the as much time as I could uh, for that. So it's not because any of my siblings asked me to do it is because I decided to do it. Having said that, I also had to stop a part of my life. I had a business to run at the time and I couldn't do it. That was just part of the, the, the process. I could not handle both, basically. She had dementia also in the last uh, year or year and a half of her life. So that was requiring something which I never dealt with before. And in the process, throughout the process, I took about six months off to go to, in, to, go to Indonesia, came back for six months because thank, thank God Switzerland says you need to come back for six months. 
that was a saving grace actually. So I came back because Switzerland says you need to be here. So the law, the law helped, helped you. Yes, exactly. A really good excuse. <laughs> right, right. Because initially I was upset. Why wouldn't they, they they let me stay longer? I did send a request to the government. Nope, you have to come back. And I when I, when I did it, I said, oh thank God, because then I can rest when I'm when I came back. And then I did the same the year after six months, and then my mom died. So it was intense also because I was encountering things I've never encountered before in relation to her and within myself. Uh, it, it was emotional because I was the child who wanted to take care of everybody and I couldn't because everything is way beyond my understanding. Mm-hmm. And your ability. And my ability, yes. And your experience. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And uh, so it was intense because of this. There's so many things at play. Physically, is is very exhausting for me because she was also asking me to sleep with her, next to her. And because of her dementia, she gets scared when she woke up at 2 in the morning. So she would have to touch my head. Every day at around 2 or 3, I would feel this hand on my head and I would wake up. Sometimes I could fall back to sleep right away, sometimes not. So, you know, these things that you, you understand that she needed you to feel safe so she could fall back to sleep, but sometimes she couldn't. So it was physically very exhausting. So, but it is also very rewarding. I remember having her visiting nurses and her visiting doctors had a, sat, had a sit down with me. And they say, that if there's one thing we have, to tell you is no matter what happened with your mother, you need to make sure you're healthy. Because what we don't, because what we see happened is that the carer got sick at the end, we don't need this. And I wasn't thinking about that possibility, by the way. And then when they, when she said, when they said that, I said, oh, yeah. So, but they didn't tell you exactly how. You just have to figure it out yourself. But I was grateful that they did it because then I become much more mindful. At least physically, I could take. It's easier to take care, like, of myself taking a nap during the day, for example, or mindful with what what I'm eating, take supplements, etc. But on the emotional and the mental state, that is something else. <laughs> so that's my experience in a nutshell. Yeah. So I I think that's really important that um, palliative care nurses sort of say. We only want one patient per address. <laughs> we only want one patient per address, and um, we don't want to have to deal with the caregivers at the same time. So I, th- I think there's many points in there is that um, nobody can do it on their own. Mm. So you need professionals, and today professionals understand that they need a team. Yes. So it's not just the medical, it's the spiritual, it's the emotional, it's all of that. But that is directed at the dying person or the person with dementia or whatever it is. But nobody, as you say, they, they might warn you and say, we only need one patient per, per address. But nobody tells you how. Yeah. I think it's just so important that we have the courage to be vulnerable and we have the courage to say i don't know how mm-hmm. rather and rather than falling into guilt mm-hmm. because even if you've 
been a caregiver for somebody before. This death is different. This dying process is different. Your energy levels, your abilities, because your age has changed, are either more or less. Mm -hmm. There is no, well, I've done it once, so I know how to do it. Yes, there are certain things that you would know. Yeah. But there are other things that are overwhelming you again. And I think we just have to be very honest about that. That this is new. This is overwhelming to our nervous system. And so we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And we need to allow ourselves to receive help. Which I think in today's Western world at least. Is one of the greatest hurdles or obstacles is because we've been trained there has to be an app or there has to be this or that I have to do it all myself this kind of thing you can't and in other societies it is still a family or a village affair Mm -hmm. and families in other societies tend to be bigger than in than in our first world western environment and so we need to create families Mm -hmm. and sometimes even if we do have a big family they're living in all different parts of the world yeah so we have to create a family and it's a two-way thing so as the as the friends as the family we have to understand that we do this together And we have to understand that the person who's dying, their death will be, or their dying process, will be very, very similar to their living process. So as we spoke about before, so if someone has been introvert during their life, they're not going to be sharing everything in the dying process. If somebody has loved company in their life, until very close to the end, they will love to have people sitting on the bed. If somebody has been enjoying personal touch and contact, until very close to the end, they will love to have somebody rubbing lotion into their hands or doing their nails or brushing their hair or but if they didn't like that in life like don't touch me they're not going to want that Mm -hmm. in the dying process Mm -hmm. so as caregivers i think as i've said before we have to be very careful that we don't project onto somebody what a good death is But we also don't take some idealized idea of what caregiving is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to bring them tea every hour. Or I'm going to rub lotion into their body. Or I'm going to make sure that they're never alone and therefore can't sleep or whatever. You know, it's those kind of things you have to look at. How were they in life, which will give you an idea of how they're going to go 
mm-hmm. through the first part of the dying process. Mm-hmm. So the last part of the dying process is when they detach, as I've said before, they detach, they go more into the inner planes. And they're not leaving you. They're, they're literally, they're working very hard. It's not a rejection. It's not that you're not doing good caregiving. They're working very hard on the inside. Mm-hmm. And they need their rest. They don't need people touching them and waking them and wanting responses from them and that kind of thing. Somebody sitting quietly in the room, that might be great, mm-hmm. but don't interfere. And then they will slip generally into semi-coma, coma, and then go. And the coma can be a day and it can be an hour, or not at all. So again, everything is different. But how they were in life can give you a good idea of how they're going to go through the dying process. How you are in life yes. as a person. As a person. Don't try to be somebody else. Mm. Caring is hard enough without trying to fulfill an idea of what caring is. Mm. Yeah. Because it will be too hard if it's not you. If you don't like touching and rubbing a body with lotion, don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah? Yes. yes. Because you're constantly going to be overwhelmed or repulsed mm-hmm. or disgusted or whatever. You need a care team, whether this person is at home or in hospice or in hospital or in palliative ward in hospital, you need a care team. Leave some things to the professionals. Yeah. Yeah. One of my first things that I learned, because I I looked after my husband, and my husband collapsed the first time six years before his death. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time to get him better with a lot of professional care. He only came home when he was a a lot better. And I was in my 30s, and I was in a foreign country, and I had no family or support system or whatever, so I was totally overwhelmed. And... I tried to be all things to him Mm. and it was too much and two years later he collapsed again and then after that he collapsed a year later and then it got shorter and shorter and shorter and four months before he died I had to give up working as well Mm. I was also self-employed because I couldn't do both Mm -hmm. and um, one of the things I really really learned was to stay who you are. That is the most valuable gift you can give that dying person. Mm-hmm. Is he didn't want another nurse. Mm. He wanted his wife. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. They don't want another would like to be doctor. They want their best friend. Yeah, or their daughter. Or their daughter, or their son, or their grandchild. Yeah. They've got enough people looking at the medication doing this. And yes, if you give them medication during the night or sometimes when the nursing staff isn't there or whatever, okay. But I think that's one of the main things is don't change who you are because it's difficult for the dying person because they've suddenly lost something else. Mm. They are going through a process of losing Mm -hmm. losing independence, losing 
their passions, losing their favorite breakfast, losing their favorite program on radio, TV, losing being able to look at things on their iPad. If they lose you as the caregiver too, because you've turned into somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Are you with me on that? I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you 100%. I can relate to that from my own experience. My mother wants her daughter. Yes. And yes. This, uh, this role is irreplaceable by yes. any other people. Yes. So that's, I, I, I recognize that is so important for her. And, and yeah, yeah, that's what she wanted. She, yeah. wants, she wanted her daughter to be there. Or yeah. all of her children if possible, but at least a daughter. So at least be predictable yeah. in that way. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that they recognize you. Yeah. Yes. It's an extraordinary crisis situation if you want. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you're not going to be the same as when they were well and you were well, and you know, but still let them recognize you. Yeah. Then again, in our Western first world, we tend to assume that we know what the other person needs, mm -hmm. we know what the other person wants, and we know what the other person is thinking. And sometimes the caregiver cloak gives us a sense of importance as well. It does. We're human. Mm -hmm. Because it is important. Yeah. <laughs> the question is how do we deal with that importance? Mm -hmm. Do we then become all-knowing? Mm -hmm. I know what you need. You don't have to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing, you know? No, let's be hu humble. Yeah. You know, let's be in humility and go, what do you need now? And let's allow them to rest. Let's allow them to refuse food. Mm -hmm. Let's allow them to refuse drink. Remember... When we spoke about the dying process, mm -hmm. it can be too much for the dying body. It can cause pain. It can also, if they're eating and they're not swallowing properly because they're weak, it can also, micro pieces can go into the lungs and cause pneumonia, mm -hmm. which will hasten death, and it will be a much more painful mm -hmm. death. So... We do say in English, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. You know, yeah. let's respect the dying process and the dying person yeah. enough to not project our need onto them. Mm -hmm. Lots of cultures say, but you're letting them starve to death. Mm -hmm. No, they're dying anyway. Yeah. They're dying, that's why they're not eating, not the other way around. So that's sort of taken away from us. So then we stand there going, but what does caring mean? Mm. What does caring mean? I don't know how to do this. Mm. And so we can become bossy. Yeah. <laughs> I know I was. Yeah. And I was very bossy towards the caregivers, the professionals, the doctors, etc. And instead of being bossy, inform yourself, mm -hmm. work with them. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really important as caregivers is to know our role in the team. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. 
and keep on adjusting, keep on being in contact with that team. And if you have the luxury, because not everybody does, but if you do have the luxury of other family members and friends of the family or friends of the dying person, involve them. Don't be too proud. Mm-hmm. And we are, because we think we need to be independent, we, need, we think, think we need to be competent and capable and all of this because of how we live today. Yeah. And this is not a situation to be competent and capable and independent. Mm-hmm. Firstly, make space for others. Make space for others. Mm-hmm. Be kind to yourself and be kind to them, serving the dying. So when you say to me, I gave up six months of running my company, Mm -hmm. I gave six months of my life to concentrate on my mother, with me then I sort of go, well, you have a sister. Which, yeah. And you have a brother. And in that, we have to be very sensitive instead of sort of saying, well, here's me and I'm doing it all, you know, because we live on mm-hmm. with our sister and our brother. Yes, absolutely. And that kind of thing, unless it's handled sensitively and constantly communicated, can actually break family. Yes, definitely. Because one person becomes more important than the other. And I think, again, here it's firstly communication, but secondly, finding your space where everybody says, I'm good at this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm not good at that. So there might be a sibling or somebody who says, it's it's just I'm not good at watching this person waste away because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. They disappear in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. Not only emotionally and mentally to, to relate to, but physically. They disappear in front of our eyes, whether they're now old or whether they're terminally ill. So for some people, that's just really soul-destroying to, to see. And other people say, I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. Because when you see it on a daily basis, it's not such a shock. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody might say, I'm really good at finances, or I'm really good at organizing, or I'm really good at this. Let me do this so that not one person has to do it all. Yeah. And I think what's really, really important that we keep on saying to each other, you're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah. And as I've spoken to you about before, I'd like to avoid the word best. Mm -hmm. You're doing the best that you can or you're doing the best because that sort of suggests a a sense of perfection. And and that can induce guilt, that can make people try harder or whatever. And it's too much. This situation is too much anyway. So to say you're doing such a great job, you're doing such a fantastic job mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is exactly how I survived it. 
I came in and I realized this is way bigger than what I could handle. And that is the first question I asked, what am I good at here? And how, how can I, because there's sometimes when everything becomes overwhelming, I can't think anymore because I'm exhausted. And so that's what, so we, be, so my, with my siblings, we on call every day, even medication changes. Sometimes I just mm -hmm. told them, uh, they're at the distance, but very involved, especially my sister was very good in fine. She's a researcher. Mm -hmm. So when I, and I, sometimes when I, there's this topic coming up, she goes, okay. And then she starts researching and then she gives some information. She's a very good networker. She would call up friends to give second opinions. And I, I often sat at home thinking, thank God for her, mm -hmm. because I have no energy for this. Mm -hmm. And when, when it comes to other things like finances, etc., or somebody who's very solid and thinking clearly, less emotionally all over the place, we rely a lot on our brother. Mm -hmm. That was a saving grace mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. I was on the ground the longest. My sister was also there for some parts of it, but I realized actually my role was to be the connector to my two siblings so that I can update them, to have somebody who can speak with the doctor real time because they're in two different time zones and to have my mother feeling safe because she needs to touch my head every night. Mm -hmm. And um, everything else we were sharing, the three of us, nonstop. Mm -hmm. But I also realized, Rachel, that was critical for the three of us to prepare the ground how to continue yes. without parents because by then there were no parents anymore mm. Mm. and I think that was so formative mm. because then we kind of learn to find mm. ourselves in these connections mm. when in the years before we kind of individually connecting to our parents mm. and occasionally we do this as a team mm. certain things as a team so you, you're absolutely right you see, the dying process is not just about the dying. Um, and whether it's parents or, or, or um, a loved one, as in your life's partner or your child, God forbid, or whatever, the thing is you stay behind. Mm -hmm. And so there is this sense of you're in anticipatory grieving, you're pre-grieving during this process. Because not only the dying person is letting go of things that they enjoyed and they loved and, 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 and whatever, um, their life is, is reducing and reducing and reducing in its radius and in, in its enjoyment and its possibilities. But your life is changing too and you have no idea, you can't think beyond, as no. so I say, well, I'll be doing this in six months' no, time or whatever. No. So it's very focused on actually subliminally preparing the way forward and remembering I'm going to be here and these people are going to be here too, yeah. you know? So everybody needs their place. So there's no place for, well, I'm more important than my brother or my sister or, or whatever it is. And this is also one of these areas where I say to those who sort of just sort of say, well, let me know when they're dead because I can't deal with dying at all in any way. You know, grow up. Sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's just really grow yeah, up. Grow up. Yes. yes. There are times where 
you need to show up. Yeah. And yes, you can have the comfort, if you've got others around, you can have the comfort of saying, I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that, let that be my contribution. Mm-hmm. But just to say, you know what, let me know when mum or dad or whatever has, has, has died, and I'll, come, I'll organize the funeral, or I'll come to the funeral, I'll do the eulogy. Grow up, mm-hmm. unless you're obviously a child. But if you're an adult, grow up because you need to go on and and i think there's too little emphasis put on if you do have family obviously if you're an only child it's very different but if you do have family Mm -hmm. that family is then if it's parents dying the next frontier they're the ones who move up Mm -hmm. so if you are an only child you might have cousins you know you might have aunts and uncles if you're in the position that you don't have anything, you should have a support group of your own friends and friends of the dying. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's really important when you... Re- you know, there's, there's two stages with illness where it's curative, where things ch- tend to stay quite intimate to a, an intimate circle of people who know. Mm-hmm. When it's irreversible, that needs to be expanded. Mm-hmm. It really needs to be expanded. Mm-hmm. However, as I say, the dying might say, I don't want so many people yeah. here. So this has to be thought about. So rather like you were the connector with your siblings, you could say, for instance, um, and then your brother, who is the less emotional one, might be the connector to the outside world mm-hmm. and inform once a week or once a day in a little voice message or something that people can connect to. Mm-hmm. Your brother might then say, send us video messages, send us written messages Mm. or whatever, we will collect them. And when our mother has a lucid moment with energy, we will play them to her. I will give them to Astuti Mm -hmm. and Astuti will decide. And when mother gets tired, we stop and we save the rest. You know, there are all these ways yeah, of dealing yeah. with it. So it's, it's, it's strategy, really. Yes, it's really, yeah, yeah. It's a strategy. So that not one person becomes overwhelmed and nobody feels excluded and bad things happen. Some people, when they're dying, might like you to lie on the bed. They might like other people to lie on the bed. They might like, if they've got grandchildren, grandchildren to cuddle. Mm-hmm. They might like you, instead of to share their bed, to have a bed put next to them, mm-hmm. their upper hospital bed, so they can reach out yeah. and touch you. The thing is, you have to look after yourself right. in that as well. So they might say, come sleep in my bed, which is a single hospital bed. You're not going to get comfortable sleep because you're going to be worried. Are you taking their space from them? You can't move properly, two people in a single bed, etc. And there you then have to become the individual who looks after their own self-care and say, I understand your need to know that I'm there. I understand your need to hear me breathing when you're awake. If I'm asleep, I understand your need to reach out. We will put a bed next to yours. Mm-hmm. 
And yes, I might come and cuddle for five minutes on your bed until you fall asleep or when the grandchildren come or when I read something to you or we watch something on the iPad, the messages that you've got from my siblings or your friends or whatever until your eyes fall closed. But then I go. Mm -hmm. So there is also this sense sometimes of self-sacrifice because somebody's dying and it's such an extraordinary process that we think my needs will come online again when they're dead. In the meantime, I just sacrifice everything that I am and I hold dear. <laughs> this, it's, 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 it's true. Um, until you're like tired and you just, I can't go on like this. I remember, and there was it. There was some kind of guilt coming up when I had that thought because with this process, you just don't have a timeline. You don't know how long this is going to be. My mother was in, was even asking herself, "Why am I processing this so long? Why am I still here for too long?" Yet it was. It took as long as it did. But at some point, because of this full engagement, I suppose, in into this thing, and I. I'm not always good in fulfilling my needs. For example, I'm an introvert and she's an extrovert. So she's appreciating people visiting, but for me, sometimes it's too much. And I wasn't always able to say to her or the people, maybe we limit the guest, not for her, but for me, because I was also there. I wasn't able to do that because in my mind, she's dying. So I need to kind of like have her way as much as possible. But it was so tiring. And at some point, it was very interesting how this pan out. My sister was calling my mother and I don't know what they were talking about. I was just sitting next to my mother and then all of a sudden my mother just turned around and she looked at me and speaking to my sister and said, I think your sister wants me to die soon. And and I remember looking at my mother, didn't say anything because it's not wrong. It's not that I, it's not that I want her to die there and then, but I you was want tired. the situation right. to end. Yes, it's not her to die, but the situation to end. Exactly. Yes. Because I was getting exhausted. That is what we don't understand if we've never been a caregiver. Yeah. And it's something that when I speak to caregivers in that process, I often ask them because the guilt that they feel about wanting the situation to end and because it is the dying process it will end in death and so that connection is very is very clear that you think well if i want the situation to end i want them to die what kind of a person am i etc because it's so easy to get overwhelmed and too tired yes which is why i am so strongly engaged in there are so many people who look after you after the death in grief mm -hmm. there are so many people who look after the dying but I'm sort of let, let's look after the caregivers as well and, and and let them understand that they need strategies they need organization they need to sleep when the when the dying person is sleeping it's a bit like having a baby you know yeah. you sleep when the baby sleeps and that kind of thing but for instance to address that 
um, we need boundaries. Mm -hmm. So we don't only have to stay the wife or the husband or the daughter or the son or the friend from next door or whatever. We need boundaries. So, but we offer ourselves in self-sacrifice. And of course, the dying person more often than not will take everything. Mm -hmm. They don't sort of think about saying no <laughs> because they're in this extraordinary process as well but we need boundaries and sometimes the dying people because it it's a it's hard work to die mm -hmm. because you're finishing all of these things mm -hmm. and your body is retracting and you're losing and you're going into the inner planes and over to the other side and all of that so you don't, you're not necessarily aware of the demands you're putting on others. Mm. So it's, it's up to, and as I'm saying, if somebody was demanding in life, they will be demanding in dying. Yeah. yeah. Somebody was manipulative in life and controlling, they will be manipulative and controlling in dying. They will not change. People don't become saints because they, they die. die. Mm -hmm. And they don't become nice because they're dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought about it like this, but you're right. There's the same person still. It's the same person. I really, really want to get this across. Yes. Yes. You know, we tend to expect them yes, to, to change and to appreciate what we do. And our relationship in that way doesn't change. So if we've had a difficult relationship or we haven't shared our innermost or we haven't been the best of friends or whatever that doesn't change it's just accentuated mm -hmm. it's heightened mm -hmm. and we mustn't expect it to be different so the boundaries we would have taken for ourselves before so we need to keep yeah. And we need to say, you're, you're expecting too much of me. But there are strategies as well. So, for instance, if you came to me as an external support person in your care team, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> you know, so you've got a care team for the dying and you need to put a care team in care. place for, you, for, the, for yourself. Yes. And if you came to me and said, her visitors are great for her, mm -hmm. but they're too much for me. I might say, okay, so can you have somebody as a gatekeeper who enjoys the social part as much as your mother and who takes over for those two hours or three hours or that twice a day or three times a week or whatever, yeah. that they come and they give everybody coffee and they open yeah. the door and they say, she's getting tired now, it's time to leave. And you go out for a walk. Yeah. Or you go out for coffee with a friend. Yes. Or you go out. A nap. A nap. Yes, nap would be the best for me. Instead of you taking on everything. Yeah. And you see how we fall into those traps so mm -hmm. easily of self-sacrifice. We have to do everything. Yeah. And we don't make as much space as we could for other people. I fell into the societal expectation 
Yes. You're the daughter. You need to be there. You need to uh, welcome all the guests. You need to update all, all these things. Yes. It was like, what? So who yeah. else can do this? Right. right. Who can share? Yeah. So you as the daughter would welcome the one person who's then going to be the gatekeeper. Yes, exactly. Yeah? And say, look, I've here's where the coffee things are, I've bought biscuits or whatever it is, and goodbye. <laughs> See you in two hours. Yeah. Yes. Wake me before you go or I'll be back. I've got my phone with me if anything mm-hmm. extraordinary happens. If anything extraordinary happens whilst I'm asleep, wake me, but otherwise let me sleep. Yeah. And I will speak to you before you leave and you will tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm up to date and I will tell my siblings. What happened. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And this is, this is how we do it. Again, there's off... You see, you need to understand that no no one person can be everything mm-hmm. you were not everything before mm-hmm. you are in a heightened circumstance you most specifically can't be everything now mm-hmm. yeah I, I understand i can relate to that yeah so also you know you often have people who sort of say uh, who leave food at your door or they ring the doorbell and here's a casserole and your deep freeze is full and it's all the same kind of food because everybody thinks, I'm sure they eat that, you know. Yet you would need somebody to bring bread or flatbread or or whatever it is, buy you butter. Mm -hmm. So again, there it's like, who would be good at organizing the support system around food? Who could draw up a rotor and say that neighbor and that family member and whatever on a Tuesday, on a Monday, and then everybody sees it and they see, well, oh my goodness, we're all delivering the same kind of food and nobody, there's only two people in that household, nobody can eat that That amount (laughs) and and whatever. So, you know, to make things visible because we don't. Mm We take it because we're polite with a smile, thank you very much, and it goes into the deep freeze, or we throw it away, or we wonder what, you know, down the toilet, because we've got so much already in the deep Mm -hmm. freeze. And we need to be truthful. Mm -hmm. Now there are, you know, we need to speak to the dying. Now there are, are cultures where the dying, the culture of the dying is to do everything as a family. Mm -hmm. And the dying will say, I'll leave that to the eldest or whatever, which is fine, but then the eldest needs to start passing down again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because nobody can be everything. Mm -hmm. Nobody can be everything. You weren't before. Yeah. And this is what I really, really want to drive home is... If you weren't living with that person and you were everything at all times to that person, you can't be during the dying process. Yes. Even if you are like that, you cannot be. Yes. You cannot be. Yeah. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. Because before you got a good night's sleep, yeah. before you didn't have the worry, before you didn't see them diminishing in front of your eyes, before you didn't have all these strangers coming into your home and the machines and the person living in your living room instead of up in the bedroom 
and you weren't losing an anticipatory grief at the same time. Yes, that's the other point that I would like to share. I noticed, I think me and my siblings, we start grieving months later after she passed away, where I could see actually part of me wanted to grieve before because I see her diminishing but there was not much space to do it or I didn't feel like I should be doing that yet. I think it depends on what you see as grieving. Right. Cleaning frantically can be grieving. Mm. Processing. Yeah. You know, not just crying. Yeah. Yeah, And it's wonderful if you can take yourself off into the garden or under the shower. I used to cry under the shower. Mm. I would switch on the shower at full blast and although nobody was watching me I thought they couldn't see my tears if the water was running down anyway and I would sob I would literally turn myself inside out I could feel my stomach exiting my mouth with the sobs Um, and then I'd be wet from top to bottom so I sort of didn't notice what's tears and what's wet. And, um, and that was my relief. Other people do other things. Some people clean or whatever. As long as you're not harming yourself, as long as you're not turning to, to drugs or you're smoking double or you're drinking too much alcohol or whatever, because that is self-destructive and it's not helpful. As long as you find some other way, but you are grieving, make no mistake, you Mm. are in anticipatory grief. However, it could be that the situation is so overwhelming that you've gone into freeze. Yeah. That you can't feel it, but it's happening. Yeah. I think that's what happened. This is where the body was so exhausted. And and it takes a while to come out of freeze. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that's the case. Yeah. It takes a while to unfreeze, if you want. So, but it's still happening, but it's a different kind of grief because that person is still there and you still need to function and you still need yeah. to whatever. So everybody does what they can, you know, um, and you need to delegate and you need to allow people in and you need to take advantage of people's strengths. And, you know, as friends, I need to say grow up too. Mm-hmm. Because a lot will say, oh, no, I want to keep that person in memory as. Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) No. Even if you do do that, find out how you can help. Mm. So if these people have a garden and you see that there's, there's just been no time or energy left for the weeding or for the cutting the grass or raking the leaves or whatever, come around on a Saturday and do it. You know, things like that. Take the car to the wash. Do the school run with the kids. Walk the dog. Whatever. Find how you can help. Mm -hmm. Don't turn your back. Ask the caregivers, the primary caregivers, not how are you coping or how are you managing because that puts them in the place of having to defend. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But actually, you need to ask them, how are you? Mm-hmm. How are you really? Mm-hmm. And then you have to have the stamina, the courage, 
the love, to hear them without fixing mm-hmm. and to tell them they're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. If I take my mind back to the time when I was caring for my mother, the question of how are you is not easily answered. I, I, I couldn't find the answer right away because of how I process the situation. And and certainly I could imagine, you know, when people say, when people try to suggest something, I would get upset. Hmm. Because it, it's almost saying like what I was doing was not right. Exactly. So don't yeah. try to fix it. Right. Right. And the dying person, even if they're in a semi-coma or a coma or asleep, we we know that they sense mm-hmm. and hear. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you take that person out of the room. So you say, thank you for allowing me to visit with your mum, mm-hmm. Stuti. Come, let's go outside. Mm-hmm. And outside, you say, and how are you? Mm-hmm. And you wait. Yeah. This, yeah, the, you need to wait. <laughs> you wait. Yeah, you wait until the because this, to say something. this person yes. is so in function yes. mode. Yes. They haven't had, you know, they don't even know whether they're hot or cold, whether they need right. a wee break or whether they're thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. So you might beforehand say, Astuti, I'd love to have a cup of tea with you. Can we sit down for a moment? Mm-hmm. Let me make you tea. Now you sit down. I know where things are. Just tell me. You've been on your feet, I'm sure, all day. So sit down. Mm-hmm. Let me make you tea. And then sit down. And just look in the eyes. Often just looking at yeah. somebody, yes. recognizing that they're there. Yes. I think this is key. And that was also why sometimes at the time it was difficult because a lot of stuff was done on the phone or virtually Mm -hmm. but i recognize when people look at me in the eyes then i can open up faster Mm -hmm. that was what 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 would have helped don't demand right just be there yes yes and if somebody doesn't want to talk just sitting with them yeah quietly drinking a glass of water a hot cup of tea and saying, you know what? You're doing a wonderful mm-hmm. job. Yeah. In an extraordinary situation. Because it's always extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. And what it, and the fact the very fact that, that person is there, the very fact that they're turning up, even if it is that the loved one is in hospice and that person goes there every day mm-hmm. and still manages the household and still manages the children and still manages the dog, the cat, whatever it is, or work to a certain extent, they are doing a wonderful job. Make no mistake. Yeah. yeah. Make no mistake. Yeah. And they need to hear that. They don't need to hear, how are you coping? How are you managing? Because sometimes the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm managing. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I could, I could hear myself. I could see myself yeah. saying, like, I don't know. 
I don't know if I'm matching. They, and they don't need that question. Right. Because then I don't need to be reminded that I don't know. I'm just doing what I can. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Not you're doing you're not doing your best, you're doing what you can. Yes. yes. And that's wonderful. Yes. Exactly. So my experience was different. Hmm. Which is why I think I'm so sensitive to this and so passionate about it, because many, many decades ago, shows how old I am, <laughs> last century, my mother had a nervous breakdown. Mm. And at some stage, and my, my father left, my mother had a nervous breakdown. That was the sequence of things. So my father was gone. Uh, my mother had a nervous breakdown. My, my brother, seven years older than I am, was there for a while. Then he had to return to university. And then I was on my own with my mother. And I was 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know what you mean when, when you say sleeping there, because I had to sleep in, in my mother's double bed, as mm-hmm. in on my father's side. Mm-hmm. And she would wake me in the middle of the night. And, you know, <laughs> and, and I'd have to comfort her, and I'd have to help her to the toilet mm-hmm. and, and feed her, and that because she, she didn't get up mm-hmm. for a long time. And therefore I didn't go to school, etc., etc. She wouldn't allow people to visit. Mm-hmm. She, her one best friend did visit once and told her, to get up and she sent her away and she didn't want any other visitors mm-hmm. and that was it just you just me mm-hmm. I was it God. my brother would phone my mother every day yeah what about me yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah and I've been through various other things and 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 culminating in my husband in a, as I said in a, in a foreign country no family not his children mm. no family of my own there um, it was me mm. that was it mm. I was the financial support I was the organizer I was everything mm-hmm. and that was incredibly difficult mm incredibly difficult I remember that when he did die people would ask me about him my friends his friends would call and say "Mm." and when he did die I remember it was six o'clock in the morning that I got the news because he was in a in a care home because I couldn't do 24 Mm. hours a day Mm. And, um, and the care home was cheaper than having home nursing, mm. private yeah. nursing, and I couldn't afford private nursing. The, the money was gone. Right. It was just gone. So that was our situation. And I got the phone call in the morning, and I can't remember why, but I phoned two of my friends mm. at six o'clock in the morning. And they said, because I'd, I'd been asked to come and identify the body, and I said, I can't do this on my own as well. Yeah. And they came with me. That was the support I got. And then they took me home, and they made me tea. And then they said, give me your phone, and we will phone between us, everybody there. Mm-hmm. We will ask you first, do they need to know? 
and anybody else who you need to inform, we will phone them for you and inform them. And that was such a huge support. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget them for that. That was beyond, you know, so I phoned his children and I phoned my mother. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, I didn't have to inform. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the day, everybody knew. And they'd said to everybody, please give her time. Mm -hmm. Don't phone her today, because otherwise all the phone calls would have been coming in and it would have been too much for me. So again, you know, just that breather, just that space. And then they said, what else can we do for you? They tried to get me to eat. I was beyond it. So they took me to bed. They put me literally, they undressed me. They put pyjamas on, they let the blinds down, it was two o'clock in the afternoon. They fed the dogs, they fed the cats, and they let me be in bed. They put tissues close to the bed. Yeah. (laughs) And that was it. And they checked on me the next day. And I wouldn't have needed or wanted anything else. Mm -hmm. I would have needed a lot of that kind of thing during the whole period because it was a four-month intense period, really intense. Also, financial worries, and I couldn't work, and the money was going out, and there was absolutely nothing coming in, so that was on top of it. But just that kind of will take over for a moment. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Mm. Yeah. Who cares yeah. for the carer? So it's to distribute the load yeah. as much as you can, but also to let other people in. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, the importance of the caregiving job, it is important, but we need to not make it more important, that we are more important. No, I'll do this as well, and I'll do that as well, and I'll do... Yeah. I'll be everything to everyone. Yeah. And then, of course, with self-care, most of it is sleep Mm -hmm. in those moments. Yeah. And so do what you have to do to sleep, whether it's hot tea, whether it's hot milk, whether it's a hot bath, or whether it's a homeopathic or non-homeopathic sleeping pill. Yes, yes. Just make sure you sleep. The other thing is that's not addressed often enough, I think, is that there are so many in every country that I know of, but again, I don't know South America, I don't know Asia in this respect. Um, There are volunteers. So in Africa, it will be, if you're still rural, it will be in a village. There will be other people who will come and do a watch, a night watch Mm. or a day watch. So you can go to the dentist if your tooth is broken off. You can go to the doctor. You can go to the hairdresser. You can whatever. You can go shopping yourself instead of having to make a list for somebody else. There are people who will come and sit. But in other first world Western countries, there are volunteers. Mm. There, there are 
the 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 groups that are support the aged or there are support groups for people with cancer there are nursing groups for people with cancer in England they're Macmillan in other places they're, they're different you know there's the hospice groups who have volunteers that belong who do just that will mm -hmm. sit with somebody for the night so that you can go and take a, a tablet mm -hmm. so that you can sleep for seven hours not just an hour mm -hmm. if you collapse as the caregiver or the caregivers that's not good for the dying person no i i know this would not be good for my mother if she knew that one or all of her children collapsing because of this so what what you set up is a dynamic yeah and if you can set up a dynamic where you say to the dying person you don't have to look after me mm. because if the dying person sees senses feels that it's all becoming too much for the caregiver they will often worry. Mm -hmm. They will often take out of their process, mm -hmm. I've got to protect the caregiver or caregivers and not let them know that this and this and this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for instance, imagine your mother thinking, I can see it's too much for us duty to have people here, even though I'd love to have more people here. I will say to her, I'm too tired, don't let them come. Mm, yes, yeah, I can yep. see her doing this. Yeah. So. It stops the, that process because the dying start looking after the living. Yeah. The living start saying, I'm not going to cry in front of you. I'm not going to say I'm tired. I'm not going to say this is a boundary. This is too much. I'm going to have to get somebody else in. What do you mean you don't want somebody else? I have to get somebody else in. <laughs> or okay I'll do this but then I have to get somebody else in for that because I can't do, do it all yeah yeah so it's a negotiation it's a communication where you say if I take care of my needs and you take care of your needs yes. even in your dying and we communicate this and we negotiate this and we involve others mm -hmm. because dying is not an event it's a process mm -hmm. and dying is not something we do on our own it used to be a village affair it used to be a tribal clan whatever affair our lives have changed mm -hmm. but dying hasn't yeah yeah and if you look at welcoming babies into the world which is the birth process. So it's adding something. It's a joyous event, etc. Look at how many people are involved. A lot. Look at baby showers and this and that and the other. And oh, you know, it's a huge thing and everybody's allowed in. Yes. And then there's the professionals. Yes. Dying is a huge event too. Mm -hmm. It's even bigger because of the loss. Mm -hmm. because of saying goodbye because it's not a joyous event mm -hmm. and some people will want the equivalent of the baby shower as in they'll want people to be sitting around their bed sharing food and a drink and whatever 
or next to them at the kitchen table and, and they've got their beds there in the dining room or where or if it's open plan they're there and people are here and sometimes as people reminisce and the laughter and, and, and they're toasting each other and they, the dying person can actually let go and die mm. quietly because they know that, that people have each other. Mm. That often happens that they'll die in that moment mm. because they know they've so got good. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Or when people are sitting on the sofa looking at albums going, oh, do you remember this and do you remember that? And the dying person is listening and then slips away. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a big process and other people need to come in, mm-hmm. if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the caregiver needs to have that humility as well Mm -hmm. and that understanding that this is not about sacrificing themselves and their own lives and making themselves sick Mm -hmm. because they have to go on living. And even if it doesn't, and you don't know how long this process is. I remember saying to the doctors when my husband was dying, just tell, I take them by the lapel and say, how much longer? this and they'd say I don't know Mm. I go what do you mean you don't know is it a day is it a week is it a month is it six months is it a year and they go well it's not a year (laughs) (laughs) how long then how long then six months doubt it and I'm thinking I will not survive six months if he doesn't die I'll kill him (laughs) I I this this kind of moment I connected to this kind of moments I remember the morning my mom died it was my it was my night shift so I wasn't sleeping very well I think my body knew something was going to happen that day and that morning I remember I went to fetch an oxygen tank that morning because she's on an oxygen tank and when I was in that shop I just feel like I need to I want to tip this guy unusually more because I don't think I'm coming back here again. I don't know why I thought that and I did that. And then I came, I get back home and then I get really exhausted. So I said to the nurse, um, we, I have a partner. My sister was taking over with another nurse, me with my nurse, we're supposed to rest. So I told my sister, I'm going to take a shower and I'm going to sleep um, in the bedroom furthest from this place because I need quiet. I said to her and she goes, yeah, okay. I remember in the shower, I was saying to my mother, well, she was not in the shower, how long more are you going to go on like this? Because I'm not in the process directly, but I'm exhausted. Mm. I cannot imagine how you feel. Mm. And I was saying to her like, oh my God, this is so tiring. I'm so exhausted, mama. I don't know how long mm. more you're going to go doing this. And um, But I remember this moment, it's like, God, I don't know if I can go on like this. It's just too much. You can't keep on no, doing this it, to me. It's almost like, Mom, how long yeah. are you going to do this? How long do you expect me? Exactly. And we go into these irrational thoughts. Exactly, conversation. It's like, what? And there are moments where 
We hate the situation and we project that hate just for a moment onto the person who's dying because they are the cause of the situation. And then we go into deep guilt about how can I think about this person in this way and what kind of person does that make me and da-da-da. How can I be tired because they're going through and da-da-da. And we have all of these conversations. So in our team... I mean, I wish I'd known this before, Mm. you know, but in our team, we would need to to sort of choose a friend Mm -hmm. or choose a professional or a professional volunteer like myself, because I'm a professional volunteer, um, do it for free, but choose somebody where we say, I need you to listen to me. I need you in these moments of overwhelm where I'm questioning my sanity, Mm -hmm. where I'm questioning how much more I can give, where I'm questioning my thought patterns and who I am if I'm thinking like that and all of that. When I can just let you know, because I've I've noticed it with so many people that I've accompanied in in that arena, and they've said to me, I think I'm going mad and I think I'm a hateful person. And I'm going, it's normal. Mm. This is absolutely normal in the situation and process that you find yourself in. And the relief that goes through their body. And I remember a friend last year saying to me, in this process I love this person I've spent nearly 50 years with this person right now I find it difficult to go into the room where they are because I have so many negative conflicting emotions I'm partly repulsed I'm disgusted I'm afraid of where they are and and how to meet them and and my needs. I have so many conflicting feelings. I just wish they were dead. Mm. Am I I hastening the process? Mm. And there are still cultures that will support that, that if you talk about death, you will will draw it to you. Mm -hmm. That's true, yeah. Um, that if you speak about you know the dying process etc don't tell the dying person that they're dying there are still cultures and we need to respect that that's their belief that's their culture Um, so the the family carries the burden Mm -hmm. however the family together because in those cultures is generally more of a family which is, is the grace then in that. But the family will then say, well, you know, when you're up again and when you're well again. And that, but that, that, to carry that on your own is very, very difficult. There are, t- in certain, like Japanese cultures, for instance, that when, if a doctor tells you the truth, you know, um, they're very, very upset because as I say it's it's not for them to carry it's say for the family to carry um, so in some cultures we need to understand that 
you say, how much do you want to know about your condition? And just because the Western, you know, first world attitude is the truth above everything and look it in the face, doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, how much, how much do you want to know? How much are you willing to know? And who can I speak to about your care? And that caregiver then becomes the most important person. And again, they need support Mm -hmm. in the decision-making, in the carrying of this, etc. And I just beg every single person listening to this, if you ever are the caregiver, never expect yourself to carry it all alone. It's overwhelming enough it's overwhelming enough because it's affecting your life. You wouldn't be a non-professional caregiver if this person didn't have a position, an important position in your life. Yeah. Whether it's mother, father, life partner, sibling, child or best friend, mm-hmm. they are important to you. So it is affecting your life simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Don't pretend to yourself you can do it all, you can carry it all. Mm-hmm. You are doing them and yourself a huge disservice. You are, as much as it comes from love, it's as much as you want to lay yourself over the puddle so that they can walk over you to the other side. Don't. Phone me first. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Call me. Call me. (laughs) Call someone. Someone. Yeah. I can, I can relate to everything on this. Really. And again, we've only just scratched. Yes. It is huge and diverse and situational and nuanced and so much more but I think my 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 main message here and my main passion is if you know somebody who's a caregiver or you get you you have that role yourself you are as important, or theirs is important. They're going through an exceptional life situation that is so big, they cannot carry it alone. The caregiver needs to negotiate with the dying person mm-hmm. so that nobody's protecting the other, that each takes care of their own needs and voices those. Mm-hmm. You need help, you're doing a magnificent job because you're showing up. Just the fact that you're there, even if you can only visit once a week and uh, somebody else, a sibling or a life partner or whatever, mm-hmm. is there every day, it is not worth less. Your sister wasn't giving less no. because she was researching. Correct. Your brother Correct. wasn't giving less. It's about understanding what you can give and your position, and every position is important. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Get yourself a team. Get yourself a strategy, or be part of the team. Be part of the strategy. 
Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for choosing to take care of yourself while you are showing up for the people that you care about. Should you need further support, feel free to reach out to me via www.upliftmylife.today. I will see you in the next episode. And in the meantime, keep on taking care of yourself. <music>